Welcome to the Bulgarian History Podcast, episode 139, Looking Back on Bulgarian Awakening, part 2. First, as always, I want to thank our newest patrons, Oliver and Luke Ritchie. And I want to take a moment before we start the regular recap to answer a few questions I recently received from listener Turner Jensen. So first, he asked why, basically why I think participation was so much more widespread during the April uprising relative to previous uprisings, when it seemed that the BRCC was really struggling to mobilize so many Bulgarians. So, This answer is my best guess based on what I know, but I would say it's a few things. First, many people likely weren't aware of these revolutionary activities simply due to communications methods, right? The BRCC was operating in towns and things, but, you know, a huge portion of the population, a majority were agrarian and, you know, maybe they went into town to sell some things, to buy some things on occasion. But, you know, just with these kind of communications methods, it was really hard for the BRCC to probably reach a lot of people. Now, the other point I'd make here is that the uprisings that had occurred in previous decades were very bloody failures. And so the prospect of joining another one, particularly without foreign support, likely didn't sound very appealing to a lot of people. Then many wealthier and powerful Bulgarians were in favor of the status quo, as we know, because well, they'd managed to thrive and benefit within the Ottoman system. And so they wanted to preserve that system. So there's kind of my, my best guess there. Now, Turner also asked, what role, if any, did literature play in the spreading of revolutionary ideas? Now, it undoubtedly inspired some people, but probably a pretty small number, because not many people could read at the time. There were cases of, you know, Bulgarians going abroad to study and becoming inspired by this kind of literature. Um, I think Karavelov and Botev are, are some examples there, if I'm remembering right. But in general... You know, the presence of literature about Bulgaria as a whole did have an effect on some people's mental image of Bulgaria as a single entity, right? If you talk about something as a thing, it becomes more real and and kind of more uh, tangible in people's minds. Now, but, you know, the, the exact role, I'd say, was pretty limited at the time, just because, you know, books were not printed in large numbers. Not many people could read them. They weren't that widely distributed. So, you know, we, we talked about printing presses and newspapers and all this media coming along, but it's still at a fairly low level during the you know first half into this middle part of the 19th century. Now, he also asked, um, well, mentioned that I've referenced several poems about revolutionary figures and asked if any of these were distributed widely enough to have an impact. Now, again, I don't have specific information, but I would guess probably not. Uh, I doubt these poems were distributed super widely. Uh, if anything, you know, I talked about theater was probably more of an engaging medium because anyone could see it. Uh, you know, you didn't need to know how to read. But yeah, that's, that's my my best guess based on what I know. Um, so yeah, if any of you have any other kind of questions, uh, usually I don't talk, I kind of just answer the questions you all have via email, but still you can always feel free to reach out. Now, last time, getting into it, we covered the first half of season six, 
seeing how Europe emerged from the Napoleonic Wars into the Concert of Europe, and how the revolutions of 1848 and then the Crimean War blew that concert apart. Meanwhile, the Ottomans finally got rid of the Janissaries and began some reforms. But that meant little on the ground for Bulgarians. The Bulgarian National Revival also started getting underway as more schools, factories, and books came to Bulgaria. Meanwhile, more men organized, wrote, and trained to liberate their country and sought help for the task. Not mentioning that in this episode was, well, what I didn't mention was the beginning of steamboat travel on the Danube in the 1830s, which also made it much easier for Europeans to visit Bulgaria. Those visitors, for the most part, either saw uh, Bulgarians as kind of dirty backwards people and Bulgaria as kind of an oriental backwards place, or as poor, hardworking people uh, operating under an oppressive Ottoman yoke. You know, we talked about that in detail, the, the kind of stereotypes and the ways in which Europeans perceived Bulgaria. As a result of these transportation changes, on the positive side, famines largely ended in the Balkan provinces in the 1830s and elsewhere in the Ottoman Empire by the 1870s, basically because railroads and steamships and other infrastructure made it much easier to bring in food to offset any localized crop failures. Now, 1864 saw the formation of the Danube Vilayet by the Ottoman reformer Midhat Pasha. His progressive leadership brought substantial prosperity to the territory alongside brutal repression of independence movements. That same year also saw the completion of Russia's conquest of the Caucasus, leading to a massive influx of refugees into Bulgaria, which resulted in terrible suffering by the refugees themselves, as well as displaced Christians and occasional violence between those groups. These years saw Romania's Prince Cusa take over governing of that, well, not quite yet a country fully, in a coup, implementing a disastrous agrarian reform and then getting ousted. Greece also kicked out its prince. The search for a new monarch nearly brought civil war and a Russian invasion. But the new prince, Carol, did manage to bring stability to Romania in particular. Around this time, the secret Bulgarian committee was formed in Bucharest as Bulgarians there continued to organize against the Ottomans, and Bulgaria got its first completed rail line, although it was a bit of a financial mess. Now, on the religious front, the Patriarch was under increasing pressure from Russia and the Ottomans to find a solution to the Bulgarian church question, but still delayed and fervently resisted any change. Meanwhile, 1866 brought an earthquake to European politics as Prussia and Austria went to war. The Prussians won decisively and formed to the North German Confederation. Prussia had now laid the groundwork for unifying Germany, and Austria was effectively blocked from expanding in any other direction but south, forcing it to focus more on the Balkans. This new situation helped the creation of the First Balkan Alliance, spearheaded by Serbia and backed by France and Russia. Eventually, the secret Bulgarian committee, a Croatian political party in Austria, and Montenegro would all join. However, this alliance never translated into any concerted anti-Ottoman action. Feeling the time was right, an uprising was proclaimed in Crete, and that mostly just resulted in two and a half years of bloody fighting before the Ottomans successfully put it down. The worsened Ottoman-Greek relations resulted just as Greek was struggling with corruption and internal instability. The Ottomans, for their part, began spending heavily to update their navy, basically fearing some war. Serbia actually considered going to war at this moment, but decided it wasn't prepared enough. 
Then Prince Michael of Serbia was assassinated and that whole First Balkan alliance basically fell apart. In Austria, the fallout from their defeat against Prussia led to an agreement to form a joint state with the Hungarians, making the new empire even more hesitant to expand into the Balkans, while again, that was still the only direction they really could expand, creating more kind of internal disagreements, let's say. Then, 1867 saw the first Cheti bands enter Bulgarian territory to attempt to fight the Ottomans. However, these bands were largely surrounded and destroyed, showing that, contrary to what many believed, their presence did not trigger a mass uprising. Soon, a new Bulgarian legion was formed in Belgrade, funded by Russia and trained by Serbian officers. However, once the First Balkan Alliance fell apart, so too did the impetus to train it, and soon a new Serbian prime minister disbanded the legion in order to sort of curry favor with the Ottomans. Around this time, Georgi Rokovsky died as well, depriving the Bulgarian independence movement of perhaps its strongest advocate. But others were coming. Christobotov returned from Russia to teach in Bulgaria before being forced to flee for Romania, and Vasilevsky was working to help the independence movement however he could, reaching Bucharest and spending the winter with Botov. Soon, Levsky and another revolutionary, Lubin Kalaverov, were both captured and imprisoned, while Cheti attacks in Ottoman Bulgaria continued with similar lack of success to those before. Soon, though, Levsky and Kalaverov were free and organizing once again. Levsky in particular embarked on a grand tour of Bulgaria to learn more about the country, gather support, and set up secret revolutionary committees. Soon, he returned to Bucharest, and the Bulgarian Revolutionary Central Committee was formed there, making a kind of political arm to match the more military resources being mustered by Levski in the country. In the Ottoman Empire, Mithat Pasha died, and the backers of the Tanzimat reforms saw their power weaken. Also there, the fight for the Bulgarian church continued until, in 1870, the Sultan finally issued a decree on his intention to establish a Bulgarian exarchate, However, the details still had to be worked out, and that was a big kind of project. It was going to take years. Now, amidst all Bulgarian, all those Bulgarian revolutionaries, Levski was gradually growing frustrated with Karavelos' insistence on waiting for external support. As all of this was happening, yet another European war occurred, which would dramatically shape Bulgaria's future. The Prussian Chancellor Bismarck managed to sort of trick French Emperor Napoleon III into declaring war, allowing him to unite the various German states even more closely to defend against the French. Within three months, sorry, not three, just a couple months, France was defeated and the emperor was overthrown. The German Empire was then proclaimed, creating a new European superpower and setting the stage for deep and long-term animosity between Germany and France. In the 1870s, we saw yet more progress in the cultural and educational kind of progression of the Bulgarian National Awakening. More schools were built, magazines, books, and newspapers published, community centers, theaters, and more were being built year by year. In Constantinople, the end of 1871 saw two full years pass since the Sultan promised an independent Bulgarian church while the details were still being worked out. Soon, Bulgarians in the city took actions to show their displeasure, and several were excommunicated and exiled as a result. However, soon the Grand Vizier allowed them to return. Within a year, the Bulgarian Exarchate was finally created. However, this was followed by more fighting and excommunication by the Patriarchate. 
Also in 1872, the BRCC held a secret meeting in Lovech to work out more details about how they would rise up against the Ottomans. At this time, resentment was brewing between Levski and Karavelov over how to gain Bulgaria's independence, creating a rift between the BRCC in Bucharest and its secret cells in Bulgaria proper. In early 1872, a general assembly was held to hopefully resolve these differences. In the lead-up, Angel Kunchev was nearly captured and tragically killed himself to avoid this. Now, at the assembly, Levski was named chief, chief apostle for all of Bulgaria, Thrace, and Macedonia. This broad role gave him flexibility in how he would conduct his secret work. However, while the meeting went well, the BRCC still suffered from a lack of funds and weapons. This forced BRCC members to ask for money from wealthy Bulgarians and occasionally kill them when they refused. It was in this context that a BRCC member named Dmitry Opshti took some friends and, without approval of the Central Committee, decided to rob an Ottoman mail caravan. They were successful, but word soon got out and some of Opshti's men were captured. Then, the Ottomans gathered more names through torture and soon had an extensive intelligence list of kind of information about Levski and the BRCC's activities in Bulgaria. Soon Levski was on the run and arguing with Karavelov over whether the uprising should begin immediately. In the depths of the winter of 1872, Levski was captured near Tonovo. He was interrogated but refused to give up any information. By early 1873, he was in Sofia to face trial where he was soon found guilty and hanged. Now, by this point, Ottoman spending, which had begun with loans during the Crimean War and continued as they expanded their navy, had turned into a truly staggering amount of borrowing and debt. Bulgaria and the Ottoman Empire were thereby kind of stuck in a poor economic position. They were importing manufactured goods while exporting low-value commodities. Economic crashes in 1873 worsened the situation and pushed the Ottomans to collect more and more taxes. Bulgarian farmers were hit particularly hard, leading to some food shortages and even starvation. By 1875, the Ottomans would begin to default on some debt payments, which, on the other side, did embolden some Tanzimat supporters. In Bucharest, Karavelov called for a new BRCC assembly to decide on their next steps following Levski's death. Athanasu Zonov was appointed to replace Levski in Bulgaria. He soon decided that a local man in Khaskovo needed to be murdered for working with the Ottomans against the BRCC. Uzonov was captured in the attempt, and soon the Ottomans were arresting yet more BRCC members. It was the second catastrophe for the organization in two years, and it was left reeling. That same year, 1873, saw the formation of the Three Emperors League between Germany, Austria-Hungary, and Russia. Together, they aimed to maintain the balance of power and combat liberalism in Europe. They also agreed to suppress Poland and divide the Balkans between Russia and Austria-Hungary. All of this put Bulgaria squarely in the Russian sphere of influence. The BRCC spent most of 1874 recovering and planning before Karavelov decided to step back from leading the organization. Meanwhile, Bosnia experienced crop failures and economic problems, which led many to flee into the mountains and begin armed resistance to the Ottomans. Now, some were Muslims, while others were ethnic Serbs encouraged by Serbia, so it was a mixed group of people who did this. However, this 
fleeing into the mountains soon evolved into a full-scale uprising. Early on, Prince Milan of Serbia opposed it. However, the young Karadjordjevic pretender to the Serbian throne took this chance to differentiate himself, and then he was detained in Austria-Hungary. It was now 1875, and the BRCC was divided once again, this time between the followers of Karavelov and Hristobotov. The latter wanted immediate revolution, while the former wanted more time to prepare. Soon, the discovery of a weapon shipment in Romania further divided and weakened the BRCC's senior leadership. These weapons were heading towards a BRCC member from Thurnival named Stefan Stambolov. He was traveling around Bulgaria and Constantinople in disguise, helping to gather support for an uprising. By the summer, the BRCC was still fighting over whether to rise up right away, and a new smaller committee was formed to continue planning. However, by this point, even the BRCC backer Count Ignatia from Russia was warning them not to rise up now. But that didn't stop Stambolov, who gathered a small cheta and announced an uprising in Starozagora. However, barely anyone joined him, and the band was soon scattered. Other Cheti formed in Bulgaria around the same time and sadly met similar fates. There were some larger battles around Starozagora, but the whole affair lasted about a week. Botev resigned from the BRCC after this failure, and the organization decided they needed more fighters and more popular support. Now, another small committee called the Georgiou Revolutionary Committee formed and isolated itself from the BRCC proper. It believed a new uprising should occur in the spring of 1876 and began planning for it. They also sought support from from Serbia, but Prince Milan was still determined not to upset the Ottomans, even if most average Serbs were strongly in favor of this. Serbia was only willing to actively support a Bulgarian uprising if they had Russian support. However, remember Russia had just joined the Three Emperors League and committed itself to defending the status quo, though there were some pan-Slav activists in the Russian government who saw this as a chance to expand their influence. But despite all this, official Russian policy was dead set against it. In the weeks leading up to this planned uprising, participants were still frantically preparing. However, one participant in a meeting betrayed the information about the uprising to an Ottoman official and arrests began. Thus, it was decided that the uprising should begin right away, 10 days before the planned start date. Initially, this uprising only occurred around Koprivčica and Panagurište. The Ottomans responded with mass arrests and the mobilization of irregular soldiers called Bashibuzuks. Over the coming days, various revolutionary districts gradually joined in the fighting, but the chance for a unified mass uprising had passed. After 17 days, the uprising was being fought in five areas. In the Rodopi foothills, it had been put down with terrible violence. It was just beginning around Slivin. It had largely been put down around Koprišica and Panagurište, where it had begun, and Echeta was trapped and largely destroyed, fighting in a monastery near Gabrovo. Now, in theory, more Cheti were expected to arrive from north of the Danube, but there was no telling when this might happen. For example, Botev was still organizing in Romania and soon heard that the uprising had basically failed. But, for reasons we're not quite sure of, he decided to commandeer a steamship and enter Bulgaria nonetheless. 
he crossed the Danube and headed towards Vratza, where his Cheta engaged in difficult battles with the Ottomans before Botev was shot and killed under mysterious circumstances. Meanwhile, Ottoman irregulars and local Pomaks surrounded the town of Batak in the Rodopi and a massacre ensued. Ultimately, around 5,000 people were murdered there. Within months, foreign journalists and diplomats who wit would witness the horrific aftermath and report on these atrocities to the rest of Europe. So, the April uprising was over. It had been a disaster. It had failed to overthrow the Ottomans. It had led to thousands of deaths, both innocent civilians and many of Bulgaria's most educated and promising young men and women. What it had achieved, though, was the raising of Bulgarian national consciousness and awareness of Bulgaria and its plight in the rest of Europe. These reports helped sway public opinion and put pressure on politicians in countries like Britain to respond. Soon, though, for unrelated reasons, the Sultan was deposed and soon committed suicide. His reform-minded nephew took over and pushed for a constitution for the Ottoman state. However, their debt was still a massive issue. Amidst all of this, after believing they would have Russian support, Serbia and Montenegro finally declared war on the Ottomans. Sadly, it was too late to help the participants of the April Uprising, but still better late than never, I guess. Unfortunately, though, the Serbian army was woefully unprepared for war, and during the summer of 1876, they made some gains, but Ottoman resistance began to stiffen and things weren't looking great. As the war began, the emperors of Russia and Austria-Hungary met to decide how to respond. They agreed that the latter could take Bosnia and that Russia could take Bessarabia, while the Christians of the Balkans should have independence, but not within a single large Slavic state. By August, Serbia's performance in the war was so bad that it desperately signed an armistice. During that truce, the new sultan was himself overthrown due to mental illness. The new new sultan refused a European-brokered peace deal, and the Ottoman army resumed its march towards Belgrade. By October, Serbia was on the brink of collapse, and Russia issued an ultimatum. The Ottomans agreed in fighting pause so diplomats could discuss the issues at hand. While this conference is underway, during the final days of 1876, the Ottomans unveiled a new constitution. However, the great powers didn't seem to care very much and ultimately issued their own ultimatum to the Ottomans, demanding Bosnia and Herzegovina become autonomous provinces and Bulgaria be turned into eastern and western autonomous provinces under reformed administration. The Ottomans said no, and as a result, Serbia and Montenegro, well, they made peace anyways, they couldn't continue fighting. But as a result of that Ottoman refusal, within a few months, Russia declared war, moving its troops through Romanian territory as both sides began to bombard each other on either bank of the Danube. Bulgarian organizations quickly mobilized to help Russia, and a volunteer corps was formed. The new Bulgarian exarchate, however, publicly backed the Ottomans. Soon, the Russians were across the Middle Danube, surprising the Ottomans. They split into three forces and spread out across Bulgaria to take key objectives. They were also steadily advancing in the Caucasus. Soon, Tornovo was taken, and the Russians began laying siege to Pleven. They also quickly moved to take key mountain passes in the Staroplanina. Russians and Bulgarians engaged in desperate fighting to hold on to these passes over the course of several months in the winter. The Russians initially made some gains south of the mountains, but they were ultimately pushed back. 
As these difficulties mounted, Russia allowed Romania to engage in offensive operations with basically alongside Russian soldiers, and together they gradually encircled Pleven as more bloody attempts to take the city made little progress. Once the city was totally cut off, the Ottomans attempted to break out, but this failed. With defeat inevitable, Pleven finally surrendered. The Ottomans had lost, but their resistance had dramatically slowed Russian progress and demonstrated that the Ottomans could fight better than most Europeans assumed. Meanwhile, Russian forces began advancing towards Sofia and soon crossed the Staropolina in force. By this point, the Russians were advancing rapidly nearly everywhere, and the Ottomans began discussing peace and requesting British intervention. Refugees streamed towards Constantinople as the Russians followed close behind. The great powers were alarmed, but unable to decide on a unified sort kind of course of action while the Russians delayed negotiations to improve their military advantage. Finally, the Ottomans agreed to an armistice and accepted preliminary peace terms. The British were alarmed by all this and ordered a naval squad to enter the Straits, the Bosphorus, without Ottoman permission. Bismarck and Germany offered to host a conference to decide on a final peace, just as the Russians were negotiating their own peace in San Stefano. At this time, Greece decided to finally get involved and attempted to foment revolution in nearby Ottoman territories, but this was a disaster. The Ottomans attempted to cut off negotiations, but were reminded that the Russians were mere hours from Constantinople, so they resumed. Finally, the Treaty of San Stefano was signed, shocking the world. It created a massive Bulgarian state against Russia's agreement with Austria also, on the other side, Serbia and Montenegro got very little because Russia was not terribly impressed with their performance, and Romania was unhappy to receive northern Dobruja in exchange for Russia retaking Bessarabia. Lastly, uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina would simply be autonomous. San Stefano, though, was completely and utterly unacceptable to the Austro-Hungarians and the British in particular. In the months leading up to the Congress of Berlin, which was again to decide the final peace, the Russians concluded a series of secret agreements with the other European powers, effectively deciding ahead of time what that peace would conclude. The Ottomans also at this point gave the island of Cyprus to the British in exchange for their help in all of this. Now, ultimately in Berlin, the Balkan people and governments were basically ignored. It was decided that Bulgaria would be cut into two smaller and less autonomous states. Nothing much changed for Romania. Serbia got a bit more territory, which had initially gone to Bulgaria. Romania, Serbia, and Montenegro were all recognized as fully independent. And, well, there you have it. Germany felt that it had saved Russia from more extreme Austrian demands, but Russia felt it had been completely and utterly betrayed by Germany, pushing Russia out of the Three Emperors League. Not a formal alliance, but like kind of agreement. Thus, Bulgaria had briefly seen the possibility of a return to greatness as a regional power before watching it be snatched away. As a result, as the ink of the treaty dried, Bulgaria faced many challenges. It had to draft a constitution, find a prince, build a military and a government from scratch, and generally recover from years of violence and war on top of 500 years of being under the Ottoman Empire. And, well... That is where we will pick up next time as season seven finally kicks off and we'll begin it with a kind of discussion of Bulgaria, its newfound autonomy, and 
how everyone is sort of reacting to the Treaty of Berlin and how the Russians and Bulgarians are attempting to build governments and constitutions and things. So that will be coming out in the next few days. Keep an eye out for it, and I will see you then. So this episode is, as always, written and produced by me, Eric Halsey. The theme music was written and performed by Teddy Raven. Check us out at bghistorypodcast.com and get in touch if you want. Always nice to hear from you all, and I'll see you soon then. Take care.